Hey, Brian, welcome back. Thank you. Thank you. I'm uh, glad to be back. Hopefully I don't repeat myself too much because I I don't remember what we talked about in the last <laughs> session. Uh, about X- a lot of about XML and yes, uh, you I know, know. The, the secret secret department at Microsoft, as I remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was interesting. Uh, yeah, I, I uh, that was interesting because uh, you know the conversation sort of was it ended up being focused on XML. It was cool, but that was a big part of my life at the time. Yeah, for sure. Well, um, now you're back from conferences, right? So as our conference season started. Yeah, yeah. Here in here in Las Vegas uh, this year, we're talking about this year, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. There's been several conferences um, here in Las Vegas. You know, travel being what it is, folks are still not going to events as much as they used to. Uh, But I'm fortunate in the sense that uh, there's several events here in Las Vegas that I can go to. So I've been to Spring One Mm -hmm. this year already uh, and uh, IBM Tech Exchange Mm -hmm. and Cloud World. uh, Oracle Cloud World. Oracle Cloud World, yes. Mm -hmm. Managed to have something to do at each one. Uh, And yeah, that was fun. Okay, so yeah. um, which was the biggest? Oh, definitely Cloud World. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I think Spring One had about eight thousand. IBM Tech Exchange had about twenty two hundred, and then uh, Cloud World was well over ten thousand. The claim was thirteen thousand. You know, I didn't, I didn't keep count. So <laughs> it was big, though. It was big. It was uh, all over the convention center and quite crowded. But I would say. Not as big as it was before in San Francisco, right? So it was even even bigger. Yes. Yeah, I remember. Um, I'm sure you remember as well those days when Cloud World and Java 1 were yeah. adjacent. And um, they used to, I mean, the whole city, the entire city, all the hotel rooms were sold out well in advance. And uh, it was it was quite... Uh, quite a trick to even get into the conference. I can't remember what the numbers were. I think they were 40,000 or something. Yeah, exactly. I mean, so really what I remember between 30 and 50,000, something like this, it was just crazy. Yeah. And um, yeah. Java, Java 1 alone, uh, I would say, before Oracle came, were 10, 10K attendees. Uh, yeah. And in, in yeah. the year 2000, I remember, it yeah. was as big that uh, the Moscone was too small. So they were officially under 30,000 because the problem... At 30,000, there was some problem with fire department. So wow. it was unofficially uh, under 30,000, but actually it was more than 30,000 attendees or 35,000, something incredible. Yeah. And yeah, um, yeah and then uh, and the Oracle world, I think, uh, was this BA world, then it was Oracle world and and the Java yeah. one and everything. It was, together oh, was I, for a while, world. they called it Oracle Open World. Exactly. Yes. Yeah, and then they had uh, Java One. Yeah, was a, it something for Java One at, at the Oracle World, or was it still Oracle World now? It was. There were some tracks, and Shar uh, uh, Chander and some other folks did their best to make it uh, make to to make sure that Java was represented, but there was no official uh, event for okay. Java at. Cloud World, yeah. So what what you did at the conferences, you know? What what's what what do you, you talk or just attended or I do both. So yeah, speak when I can. Uh and then um you know I, I gotta talk, for example, at Cloud World about web logic and uh, on, on Azure, running on uh, Azure okay. Kubernetes service. 
and that was a good talk. Uh, we set it up. We had a live demo. Uh, a lot of people there, not to be critical, everyone has their own style, but a lot of the sessions that I attended at Cloud World were slides only. You know, everyone had their PowerPoint slides and they go through. But ours was almost all demo just because that's what we do. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people really appreciate it. It was well received. So, mm-hmm. yeah. But um, uh, was it more about uh, the integration between Asia and, and, and WebLogic, I can imagine, right? Yes. Yeah. So, um, so what you did, what you did in particular? So I'm really interested. So because um, I'm actually, I'm a BA technical director from the year 2003. And the ah, okay. technical director was uh, uh, a program. And I don't know how I became BA technical director, but it was something with, you know, asking many questions uh, and, and they then found me and I had uh, some, some sessions about BA and I was actually a huge fanboy, BA fanboy. The, the early versions were great. And, yeah. uh, you know, the, the recent versions are, I, I don't know the most recent one, but um, after eight, it became yeah. larger and bigger and, 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 and harder to manage than, you know, the, the earlier BA. Um, I don't know whether you know, but the first BA WebLogic server was basically a jar. So there were two jars, and you can uh, yeah. it, it started very quickly back then. So I really like yeah. that. I don't remember. So, I mean, I know I know Open Liberty and Liberty and WebSphere before mm-hmm. that was um, based on Apache uh, uh, app server. Was the same thing for BA or no? Um, uh, Apache, not Apache. Um, what uh, there was an IBM HTTP server which was basically Apache, and IBM yeah. sold this yeah. as as a commercial. But yeah. uh, the uh, WebSphere, yeah, you could run WebSphere without the Apache, because mm-hmm. the WebSphere now was a servlet container, right? And right, right. maybe yeah. this is what I don't know: the uh, WebSphere servlet container was ba- based on Tomcat, which is uh, which is Jakarta Apache project. So Tomcat is like the servlet engine, That's and correct. the Apache web server is just a web server. And yeah. it's a little bit more complicated because in the early Java day, there was some days was a plugin to uh, Apache, I think it was called JSurf. So you could actually run servers in Apache as well, but this is not what usually happened you know, in the recent years. And right. the um, WebSphere Classic was huge, and the yeah. uh, WebSphere Liberty is tiny. It's very fast and small and nice. So the WebSphere Liberty or Open Liberty, what we use yeah. mostly in projects. So yeah. what I'm interested in right now, what you yeah. did with WebLogic in Asia. So if you, if you remember what you know, um, oh, yeah. So I can go through it. Um, so basically, as you pointed out, uh, WebLogic became complicated, very complex to sort of run, which you know, it's not a bad thing. It's just the way it is. It's, it had to be managed. Um, and so what IBM and Microsoft, in a partnership, uh, developed something called uh, the WebLogic Operator. So it's an operator for Azure. And basically what this is, is a piece of Wait a code. second. Why yeah. IBM and Microsoft developed something for Oracle? I'm sorry, not... I'm getting them mixed up. Uh, I was sorry, just before this, I was talking to somebody about IBM Liberty and I got <laughs> Oh boy, uh, Oracle. <laughs> and, so this is a great that IBM actually <laughs> contributes code to Oracle. This was, yeah, actually, wow. this thanks, was thanks, like, uh, I missed, you know, Oracle world and, and everything changed. Thank you for catching that. No, I, I met Oracle. Uh, Oracle and uh, Microsoft put together this thing called the Oracle operator 
basically mm-hmm. for WebLogic. I'm not using the exact terms, sorry, uh, to Ed Burns. I know he has a specific term you're supposed to use, but that's what I call it. The Oracle Operator for WebLogic uh, is basically a way of uh, managing deployments and making sure that you have some guardrails when you're actually deploying a WebLogic server on AKS or on virtual machines as well. So Azure Kubernetes Service or virtual machines. And it just makes it easier. Aside from the operator itself, we created this marketplace image that uses the operator. Um, and I should say we, uh, Ed Burns, Reza Raman, and some other folks at Microsoft uh, created that. And basically what it is, is you can go to the marketplace. So search Azure Marketplace and you choose the WebLogic on AKS option, or the WebLogic on Azure Kubernetes Service option. Mm-hmm. When you click on that, there's a form to fill out and you fill in various things like uh, the resource group that you want to put it in. Um, I'm pulling this in off the top of my head from our presentation, but uh, uh, the resource group you want to put it in, the Kubernetes underlying virtual machine you want to choose, and that can be an ARM or x86 virtual machine, um, how you want to do load balancing. So Mm -hmm. we have a default load balancer built in, or you can set up a manual load balancer or no load balancer. Uh, You can also have the option of deploying an application. And this Uh, is the HTTP load balancer, right? So application load, I mean, application level load balancer, right? Yes. Yeah. We have something called application gateway, which is like a default load balancer you can use. And it's literally like one click and it's scalable. Uh, But the other one is a load balancer that you create yourself, an HTTP load balancer. uh, And you specify the users and the uh, apps uh, in specific clusters that you're going to use on Kubernetes and the size of those clusters. There's all kinds of detailed information you can get into. Uh, But the bottom line is, um, and as I mentioned before, you can deploy your own app as long as it's on Azure storage. Uh, And then what is there's a couple of things. The the WebLogic is the the installable of WebLogic on Azure storage or the container or what do you mean? No, uh, the WebLogic itself, you have to have an Oracle account because you're going to pull it from the uh, container registry at Oracle. Okay. So there's an Oracle container registry. As long as you have an Oracle account, uh, you can grab several things. So you have to, uh, there's some licenses you have to choose. So you have to go into the container registry and literally click on agreeing to a license before it will let you mm-hmm. run it. But um, yeah, it's it's there's a lot of co- the things that are quite complicated to set up a WebLogic server on AKS for the first time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the operator itself sort of takes away all that. Uh, not all of what it. What do you mention Azure storage? So what is stored in the Azure storage? Is the sessions or so the application that you want to deploy. So okay. you're going to deploy the WebLogic server from the Oracle Container Registry, and then you deploy the application from Azure Storage. So the ER or WAR or whatever you have, right? This is what you mean, right? Yeah, ear or yes, yeah. Oh, this interesting. And, uh, so it means the the, the web logic itself runs on Kubernetes on 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 Docker containers, but the application is not shipped as a Docker container. It ships as a zip. It's shipped as a WAR file. Yeah, um, zip basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then it, it gets containerized basically automatically, and put into a container registry. Uh, Azure has its own container registry, so similar to Docker Hub, in fact. Azure Container yeah. Registry. A-C-R. Yeah, ACR, Azure Container Registry. It's a private registry by default, and um, it's based on the same code for Docker Hub. 
so a lot of Docker commands like Docker build and others will uh, will work really well. Uh, one one of my favorite commands is az acr build. Uh, and so if you have some code locally on your local machine, um, let's say you've cloned a GitHub repo and you're connected to an Azure container registry, you can use the Azure CLI and type azacr build. And what it'll do is it'll take the code from your local machine, including a Docker container, uh, sorry, a Docker file if it's there, it'll put it into what we call a hosted agent in the cloud. And it'll build that and test it based on your Docker file. And it will actually, if everything runs correctly and there's no errors, it will create a new Azure Container Registry uh, entry in the repository for you. It's almost like a GitHub Actions story, similar. Yeah, similar. Yeah, but it's just one command. So instead of having to say Docker build, da, 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 and then Docker push, it does everything, and it doesn't take up any horsepower on your local machine. So if you have a machine that might take a long time to build that and test the, the container, uh, it'll actually do all of that in the hosted agent on the cloud. But so there's cool. a free plan, but I, in one point of time, I would have to pay for it, I guess, right? Because building can be really expensive. Yeah, it can be. Yeah, yeah. But Which is fair, agent, but just, you know, but this is one option, no. but you can still build on a local machine, right? This is just like... Yes, you, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Now, when you talk about Azure Container Registry, um, the hosted agent is actually included in the price. So uh, the hosted agent doesn't cost you any extra to run. Oh, that's interesting. And it's a virtual machine. So they're just paying yeah. for the yeah. ACR. Yeah, yeah, uh -huh. exactly. So back to yeah. the web logic. So if I... Yes. Uh, <laughs> what you said is interesting. Um, that yeah. I put to, uh, the, the war to Azure Storage, and yep. you creating container from the war with WebLogic, I guess, right? Or you are deploying to WebLogic, you know that? Yes, so we're deploying to WebLogic, uh, but it still is containerized because it's a WebLogic server. Um, so that each each pod has to contain that that image, uh, that, that, that application, the war ear file. Mm -hmm. uh, but it also, yeah, it puts the WebLogic uh, server mm -hmm. uh, as part of that as well. So there's when yeah, you look at because the, what I did what I did before is yeah. um, I had a WebLogic base image, mm -hmm. and then I inherited from the base image and yeah. deployed the war. And what happened then? I got you know uh, my WebLogic with the war image, and then yeah. I could start it several times on Docker basically without Kubernetes. This is what I did a few years yeah. ago. I get more than yeah. five years, I guess. So yeah. um, I think you do either this or what you could also do is optional. You could start, you know, the three web logics or four, depending on your cluster, and deploy mm -hmm. to each of the web logic on the fly the war. But I think what you're doing, you are creating one image and starting four times. Or, you know, a yes. yeah, this is, I think yeah. this one. And that's, that's, what's in the, yeah. Yeah, that's what's in the container registry. So it's it's containerized with the app and the instructions for weblogic to use it as a node so the what i understood you 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 fill a form you know what you would like to have the cpus ram or whatever or maybe even easier say okay big small or 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 or, or large mm -hmm. <laughs> very large and then you are you the kubernetes orchestrator is um, is orchestrator orchestrator 
Oh, it's called Kubernetes Orchestrator, right? Oh, uh, what is it? Uh, yeah, the yeah, it's it's basically all. So when you're talking about Azure Kubernetes Service, um, everything in the management plane is managed by Kubernetes Service. Service, yeah, uh, but how it's called the extension of Kubernetes? I think Orchestrator, right? If you build your own uh, Kubernetes schema, um, is it? ETCD is the I, I ETCD is the that. configuration, but uh, DB, yeah, the but uh, in Kubernetes there's a way to create your own Kubernetes extension, like you know that the web logic is starting in the right order, and yeah. uh, you mentioned it's operator, not orchestrator. Kubernetes operator, this is the name. Uh, well, it's the web logic operator. So yeah, the Kubernetes, but, but, mm -hmm. um, yeah, the Kubernetes part of it is is. For yeah, it's written for Kubernetes, uh, and it uses. Uh, so I'm trying to remember the key components in the management plane for uh, Kubernetes, but I, I, I'm drawing a blank right now. That's no, that's no, one no of problem. But the the, yeah. the operator, the uh, yeah. web logic operator for Kubernetes, I think is that it would be the right name. So what what it does, it starts and stops. This is like. Um, so what it usually is is that you can have your own Kubernetes commands. You know, to mm -hmm. control web logic, which makes it nicer. And I think uh, yeah. so. You mentioned this already. This was the name uh, Kubernetes operator for web logic, and you yes. extended AKS with web logic DSL, domain specific language, almost to to control that. Okay. The, uh, and what I wanted to know is, um, what interests me was it the session? Is there a huge interest still in web logic? Was it like well attend attended, or you know, they were like just two Microsoft people in the room? Well, I, I can tell you there were about 60 people in the room, but honestly, uh, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't, it was like a theater. We didn't know that until we got there, but it was like a, a theater inside of a executive briefing center. Uh, and okay. so this was exclusively for partners of Oracle. And uh, so we had about 60 people scattered around the room, but some of them weren't just came in for lunch and things like that. Uh, okay. It wasn't like a traditional meeting room, but I'm guessing we had probably about 20, 30 people who were watching this session. And yeah. is it uh, good? Uh, or I, I have no idea what the expectation is, you know? I was good, yeah. I mean, we focused, uh, we focused on the uh, Azure part of it because everyone there knew WebLogic well. So. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I sort of did a show of hands at the beginning. It was myself and Ed Burns, by the way. Oh. Uh, so Ed Burns was there as well. Um, and did a show of hands just to ask, you know, how many people here are WebLogic administrators? How many people have deployed WebLogic before? And everybody said yes. And I said, okay, how many people worked with Azure and Kubernetes before? Not many hands. So I'd be like, okay, we're going to focus on that part. So cool. that's what we So yeah. what happened then? I can imagine what you did on Spring, Spring 1, right? So what was... There. Spring one, I didn't have any talks. Okay. Um, some some of my colleagues did. So Mark uh, Heckler okay. and Rory Preddy and Asser uh, Silver Singh had talks. Uh, unfortunately, I didn't have any for this one. About what? Uh, uh, they mostly talked about. Um, we have a, a product that has been built in partnership with VMware and Microsoft uh, called Azure Spring Apps. Hmm. And uh, it's a way of managing uh, your applications uh, using something similar to Cloud Foundry, if you're familiar mm -hmm. with that. Today. Yeah, it's, it's very much, uh, you know, VMware, Tanzu uh, management, and it's, it's basically Spring Cloud, mm -hmm. 
uh, packaged in a slightly different way for uh, so it's specific for Azure mm-hmm. and has a lot of features that you can use to add into Azure. Was yeah. it well attended? Uh, I think so. Yeah, I I didn't attend every session, but uh, I think it was. Okay. I was uh, mostly working in the booth and speaking to people and catching up. So that was uh, nice. That was a nice, uh, nice break for me. I, I generally am under pressure to deliver a workshop and a session and be here and there. And I uh, I didn't have that responsibility at this, this particular event. So yeah. Okay. The last one was IBM. What is it called? Tech, Tech Exchange. Tech Exchange. Tech, exactly. Yes. So what, what was this about? Open Liberty? Uh, yes, for us it was. I mean, IBM Tech Exchange is a very broad event. Uh, everything to do with developers. So they have, actually, it's more, so they have a, an event in the spring called IBM Think. Mm-hmm. And that's, as far as I can tell, that's sort of more for developers. Whereas the IBM Tech Exchange would be more like, um, system administrators and decision makers and partners and things like that. Mm-hmm. That was the impression I got. Uh, I didn't have that confirmed anywhere, but that was the impression I got. We, at Microsoft, we have a similar setup where in the spring we have build mm-hmm. and uh, that's specifically for developers. And then in the fall, coming up in November, we have Ignite, which is specifically for system administrators, what we call IT pros and um uh, people who work with the administration and deployment and management of systems versus developers. Okay. So, and yeah. which topics you you had? So you 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 were you attended as a speaker at the Tech, tech Exchange conference? Uh, yes. Yeah. Okay. So well, I was. Go ahead. Uh, so what what was your topic? So Reza Rahman and myself uh, were representative of our group at Microsoft, mm-hmm. uh, and. It was uh, deploying, we had a workshop on deploying Open Liberty on AKS. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. So once again, we're highlighting AKS, but uh, yeah, this time with Open Liberty. And uh, we based it on some documents that we have in Microsoft Learn and deploying out of there. So, so it's similar architecture as opposed to WebLogic, right? It is. There's an operator similar to that. So there's a, a IBM operator for what's your liberty are, are even the commands similar so if i know knowledgeable with web logic could i apply the same command or similar commands to deploy open liberty not really no it's it doesn't really obfuscate the uh or or um virtualize the environment itself uh it just makes it easier to do the deployment mm-hmm. so that's what the operator does and then once it's deployed what the operator does is just um you know, it, when it's when it's deploying, it enforces security rules and things like that to make sure that you're securely connecting to databases and that you're connecting ah, to databases. So, so what, like what I understood now, uh, you are you don't have to fire up the the um, Kubernetes commands; they are hidden be, behind the uh, the app, the form, right? Uh, yes, you this can, is what I well, mean because app, whether you know itself. the the Kubernetes yeah. uh, commands are similar in both cases. Yeah, you, you use well the similar the Kubernetes commands you use for get pods and all the standard. This is clear, but I think if you have an operator, you can introduce your own commands. I don't know, like you know, application server cluster up or application server. So you can have a um, yeah, CRDs. I think the name is like 
custom resource definition. And with the custom resource definition, you can uh, introduce your own Kubernetes commands. And uh, I think this this have to be similar in, in both cases. And of course, you cannot you know use uh, <laughs> low level web logic commands in order to deploy to to, to WebSphere. So this this won't work. But uh, okay. And uh, was it yes? No, that that's you're you're correct. Yeah, I was a little confused with the Kubernetes operator. The the IBM operator and the Oracle web operator are are different. They're just highlighted for deployment, but you used standard kube control commands mm -hmm. for managing Kubernetes. Okay. And inside of WebLogic, you can uh, you you have the capability of running uh, of of looking at the console and. You know, working with that as well. Okay. But both have similar concepts, web logic and liberty, but they're yeah, very different. No, I'm just it was interested in the Asia part. Yeah. You know, what uh, whether the Asia part is similar for both. So, like, you no, know, the, the architecture of the Asia cloud is similar in, in both for both cases. I, I, I guess so because in both cases, AKS, and in both cases, uh, you have your own operator, right? Right. Right. What was it well attended this session? Uh not really. Uh, it was the end of the day. Okay. And we just had a few few attendees, but uh, it was still worthwhile. They were good customers of Microsoft, and uh, uh, we were able to help them with some kind of one-on-one -on -one consulting. Okay. No, no, <laughs> but yeah, uh, the problem was not the topic as far as I understood it. It was the t fact that it was scheduled at 5 p.m. on the, the day – there's a big party that night, and uh, so you know it, we would have finished about six six thirty, and the party started at seven, and uh, just not a lot of people came. We had more registrations than we had people okay. show up. So yeah, I remember the Java one, the very last session, there was almost empty, and it was sometimes it was really really interesting, and I actually spent you know the entire session. Wait, the last session, and then I have to go to the airport, but uh, there were. I even remember the, the sessions this was uh, from, yeah, but um, regardless, this is uh, not very, you know, thankful <laughs> to have, no. Um, no. To have uh, the, the last session yeah. of the day because the people are yeah. going out during the session, you know, to, uh, just leaving. It. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You've been there. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's not necessarily, uh, necessarily a reflection on the presenter or the topic. It's just, yeah. you know, logistics. Now, um, okay, now, um, what is your impression of the conferences? So it's like they are significantly smaller than before the pandemic, I guess, right? Yeah, they are. Um, you know, there, there used to be a, a different atmosphere. Um, I got to say, of all three, uh, IBM put on the best the best show, I got to say. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, Oracle was good. Oracle was good. Um, I thought they had a good... Uh, good organization uh but in terms of the getting a lot of information ibm and it, and it might be because it was just smaller you know it was uh, mm -hmm. a focused small event uh spring one uh i don't mean to i don't, I don't want to be too critical critical about them i, I think they did a, a fine job with what they were given but they had sort of a show within a show so spring mm -hmm. one was part of vmware explorer and um, I think I think attendees were somewhat confused at what we had uh, in some cases. So 
yeah, that was kind of kind of difficult. So the eight K uh, attendees were actually VM VR attendees or Spring One. Yeah, yeah, there was eight thousand. I think there was about twelve hundred Spring One attendees. Yeah, um, yeah, I should have mentioned that. Uh, but yes, about a similar 8, story to you know early Oracle World in Java One, right? As as they merged yes. them, no one knew actually what I remember. Do you remember in in San Francisco there were even arrows, you know, on the on the um, pavement, right? Left uh-huh. Oracle World, right to Java One, and uh, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, because everyone was confused to what is what, and yeah. uh, and then it merged, and now yeah, and now it seems like there is only Java Track on Oracle World because last year there was Java One actually, right? And, yeah, uh, yes, yeah. they they had a separate. Uh, event for java one was it then some so, official statement or something was it like java related keynote or what what was you know the uh at this particular event yeah. no they had a community day uh shar chandar and, and some other folks did a great job of uh, managing that and a uh, part of that was was some java events including the java 21 launch mm-hmm. um and uh that was that was cool um but there was no uh, no big well, well, well attended the community day or um I think so yeah uh, I I wasn't there the whole time but okay uh, yeah it looks like it was so. because the problem I is um, as I attended Oracle uh, World in Java One I was sometimes at breakfast and with you know other people and we we had a chat a, and they were for complete they attended the conference for complete different reasons there were I remember a chat with a gentleman. He was like uh, he was a a manager of 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 a law firm basically, and he had no idea what Java is right now. And it was the same conference, so uh, there was like a wide mix of of business people and and Java developers. So I mm-hmm. I can imagine if you have an Oracle Open World, it would be actually interesting to know what is the percentage of Java developers who attended op- Open World, because if I would. I, I would ask, you know, is there any Java content at Open World? Because five years ago in Open World, there was at most maybe some MySQL and Oracle database sessions. Yeah. But the Java sessions were always at Java, at Java One, and if there right. was a Java session, you know, at the Oracle World, it was usually you know Java in Oracle database, something like this. So always you know Oracle product related, and the Java One was more more about Java. So. If there is a track at Open World, it's interesting how many Java developers will really attend Open World to get Java content. Right? This is the interesting part. I th- yeah, I think there was a very small number, if if at all. I mean, there was a few folks there. There was uh, Sharat Chander. There was um, uh, Pratik Patel mm-hmm. uh, from Atlanta Jug DevNexus fame. Um, uh, Andres Almore oh, cool. was mm-hmm. there. Uh, and uh, some other folks from Azul. Uh, Azul had a booth, um, and there were some Java booths, including Microsoft. We had a section for WebLogic specifically. Um, but, yeah, I, I don't think there was any real um, promotion. There was no CFB process for for Java talks. There was nothing like that. There were just a few sort of promotional talks. Uh, my talk was, uh, you know, a partnership talk. Um, and that was, uh, uh, kind of a rarity actually. Uh, but yeah, there wasn't any, there wasn't any real focus on that. In fact, that same week, uh, the JCP meetings were taking place in New York city. 
So the Java community process meetings took place at the Java as as part of the Java New York SIG, um, which was celebrating an anniversary as well. Uh, I believe twenty five years. So they, I mean, the the to give you an idea of how important it was in the Java world. Uh, the JCP was not at Cloud World or in Las Vegas. It was in New York at the same time. So. Do you know Mohammed Taman? Uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> nice guy. So um, you you mentioned JCP. So JCP party and the entire JCP event was always co-located with Java One. And that was always my my favorite. Not my not my favorite favorite, but my favorite fun thing to do at Java One. Yeah. Yeah, and I attended uh, once, and uh, it was always a nice bar, you know, with a nice city view, right? So it was always a yeah. Lot of, yeah, and um, yep. but once I had to deliver a session, so Birds of Feather, and it collided with the event. And what I didn't knew, uh, oh, no. I won a JCP award, but I forgot what it was. I, I still have a, 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 a kind of a trophy at home, and uh, JCP, yeah, something with JCP, JSR or JCP related. But a cool story is. <laughs> I couldn't attend because uh, I had to deliver a bits of feather session. This, this is why I know they were always collocated. But the Mohammed Taman yeah. picked it for me. So there were pictures with him. It was my trophy. And he gave me at the party, you know. So this is why I remember that JCP was always collocated with Java 1. So it's interesting to know there's now in New York and there's only one um, new um, community event in New York. Interesting. The Java Special Interest Group, yes. So Java SIG, they existed before Java User With Group. With uh, Frank so, Rico, yeah. he was a big fame yes. in Java User yes. Group, New York. Mm -hmm. Yeah, great guy. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so if you can imagine, all the folks who were involved in JCP were in New York and not in Cloud World. So it wasn't a, it wasn't a Java event. What's... Um, <laughs> I actually don't care that much, but what I don't understand from Oracle perspective that actually the Java One was the most popular conference until they started to rename it, right? So, um, uh, uh, so the Java One was a great brand, and yeah. um, and uh, what I observed is, for instance, there were many speakers, uh, speakers, sorry, many attendees from you know uh, corporate America for bigger companies. They all, I saw them only at Java One nowhere else and they were allowed mm -hmm. to go to Java One but no other conferences. So if they renamed yeah. you know the Java One to something different, they as my impression was, I never saw them again. So I I remember, you know, some because I always have you know interactions with the attendees. Um after the after the talk. So we we, we had a chat and it's okay glad to see you again after one year and what you're doing and so and and most of the people are gone then, you know, because they they the the, the you know the didn't got the approval for the travel and whatever because Java One was a big you know big conference and everything else was smaller than that and also for me you know Java One was still something special and mm -hmm. I know destroying the brand is a pity right because um, they could just keep the name and and yeah. and and even have you know a track uh, or a building you know at Oracle World and just call it Java One so this is what I never understood and the and and what they said you know at the beginning yeah but they have different languages. I say, yeah, but if you have a conference with all possible, you know, language, who is supposed to attend it, right? Because um, if I'm a Java developer yeah. and and there are no one Java talk, one Python talk, one Rust talk, I'm okay, that you get crazy. Yeah, it is, you are, we were overloaded with content anyway. So if there's no, yeah. the, the, if you if you if you know, quadruple the the amount of tracks, you you get 
this is just too much. But um, yeah, this is just my opinion. I never understood it. But uh, I guess I don't know some political decisions who no one understands, right? So this is. But but what yeah. my observation That's is now, me. you know, you mentioned Ed Burns and Riza Rahman. They're the people actually who work for WebLogic or were close to WebLogic back then, right? And and they are very knowledgeable about this stuff. And now it seems Fair. like you know the, they work on, on Microsoft is highly appreciated. So what's uh, what's 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 for me funny and interesting, you know? Yeah, I mean, I don't know what goes on in the the meetings. I'm sure if yeah. we had some in, insights, that would be. Helpful, but yeah, it's, it doesn't make sense down at our level. Does yeah, they wouldn't it's, be uh, helpful. I think I, yeah. I was in s sometimes in such meetings that you cannot even summarize what happens, right? So this, always, <laughs> this is like you know, this is absolutely not logical. What sometimes you know comes out of that, uh, not even Java related. In other companies, is just crazy. So uh, just it it happens, and no one can do something against that, right? But what yeah. interests me right um, now? So last time you know we had a chat about XML and Java. And now you're working for Microsoft. So um, what is your, actually yeah. your role or what you are doing there? Yeah. So I, I was trying to remember where we left off. And and uh, so basically I joined Microsoft in 2012. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'll just start there in case if there's a repeat, it's okay. Uh, so 2012, uh, I joined Microsoft and um, I was hired as part of a group called MS Open Tech. Exactly. This was the secret and, by Steve Ballmer, right? So he, he, exactly. Yeah, Steve Ballmer actually created it. Yes, and a guy named uh, Somar Samasagan uh, was basically in charge of it, and he he was in charge of it inside of Microsoft. And then uh, they hired a gentleman named Jean Pauly, uh, who was involved with the XML or uh, uh, project uh, from the beginning. He was uh, one of the players, and um, he was hired to be sort of the CEO of this company, this uh, MS Open Tech. And then he hired a whole bunch of developers. I was one of the first 10 developers that were hired on the team. Uh, and I was hired for my Java skills. I, I, you know, I, I'd actually interviewed with Microsoft back in the day when they were trying to do XML um, well, not trying. They were succeeding very well in doing XML conversions of all of their Office products. So mm -hmm. everything in Office, mm -hmm. um, if you open a PowerPoint, mm -hmm. a PPTX mm -hmm. or XLSX for Excel or mm -hmm. DocX for Doc uh, for Word Docs, if you open those, if you change that file extension to a zip file mm -hmm. and open it, it's a compressed file with a bunch of XML in it. Mm -hmm. Uh, people don't know that. I can imagine uh, a beautiful formatted, well-formed XML with beautiful tag names, right? <laughs> actually, yeah, pretty good. It wasn't bad, believe it or not. And uh, um, and and what happens is the runtime is then becomes the uh, sort of the manager of the XML, mm -hmm. and that's all written in C, C++. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, basically they converted everything to XML, and I didn't. I, I went through a round of interviews. I thought I did pretty good, but apparently I, I was not uh, selected. So unfortunately, uh, then a couple of years later, the same guy who interviewed me with the XML said, hey, Jean Pauli is uh, putting together a new team. Uh, are you interested in, in working for us? And at the time, I was working for some startups, and, mm -hmm. uh, and I just finished working for Deloitte, working mm -hmm. for this big uh, uh, sort of a consulting slash product that they had for for uh, 
drug trials. And um, I was like, yeah, I'd like to get into something more general and I would love to be part of the cloud. So, uh, you know, this is open source, the clouds. It sounded like a great deal. I went up, I interviewed, I met Jean Pally. I met my, well, who would be my boss and the guy who interviewed me before. His name was Doug Mayhew. Um, and he's now retired. He was uh, part of Microsoft for many years and then moved to Google and mm -hmm. retired. But um, oh, yes, yeah, was, uh, was at Microsoft for many years, then went quickly to Google and retired, right? So this was the story. <laughs> after a few years, yes, after a few <laughs> Just years. Just kidding, he, okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, he, uh, so anyway, I, the, the interview went really well and they basically hired me on the spot mm -hmm. and they needed people right away. So I'm based in Las Vegas, uh, always have been. And, uh, you know, they said, well, you're going to have to spend two or three weeks a month in Redmond, uh, at least at the beginning. And, and I did. I ended up spending two, three weeks a month. And you like Redmond? Redmond? I do. I do. Um, it's a, it's an amazing place. I mean, it's very tech oriented. So I live in Las Vegas. It's the desert. I love the sunshine here and the dry air and stuff like that. And it's a nice balance. So I go up there, I get some moisture and, uh, <laughs> and, uh, uh, and it's just a different mix of people too, obviously, you know, uh, you have different, very different conversations. Uh, I go to, I go to the sauna a lot. So I, so, you know, I go work out and I have a swim and then I go to the sauna. And uh, so the sauna conversations in Vegas are very different from the sauna conversations. That is what I can imagine, right? Yeah, you know, here in Vegas, you you can have a uh, you can't talk about XML, you know, sort of, uh, uh, you know, it, it, all they say is, oh, you know, Bill Gates, you know, sort of thing. And uh, in in Seattle, it's like, oh, XML, yeah, yeah, I was involved with the original, you know, interest group in the on this project or whatever. And you know, you it, you need a lot more interesting people anyway. It's uh, it's good. So so I like Redmond. I like Redmond for the atmosphere. Mm -hmm. And it's like a college campus when you go to Microsoft. I mean, it really is. Mm -hmm. It's all the buildings are devoted to Microsoft. Um, they have cafeterias. Uh, and, you know, I, I was, I had my own office in one of the buildings. Mm -hmm. In fact, they tend to, one of the things about Microsoft life back then, at least, they tend to like to move you every eight months or so from building to building. Oh. Uh, so we, we were constantly migrating from building to building and, which worked for me because I wasn't there all the time anyway. So okay. I had a, you know, I had a suitcase in a hotel in Redmond and uh, a box in an office, <laughs> and uh, went back and forth. But yeah, that was a that was a great experience. So so MS Open Deck itself, um, I digress. MS Open Deck itself was built for um, managing open source and not just promoting open source offerings that we have to the public, but also um, evangelizing open source inside of Microsoft. And that was the hardest part. Uh, as you can imagine, folks were really nervous about uh, talking about Java to the public. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and frankly, we have some PR firms who tend to scare people as well. So, uh, you know, they, they're like, okay, unless you use our services, you're going to get in trouble if you talk to the public. And uh, so there's always that sort of uh, atmosphere as well. You mean it's you not PR you... people you hire are scary? Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> okay. <laughs> they can be. They scare you. And, and that's their job to do so. I mean, it really can 
you know, it's it's a we're talking about a lot of money at stake for the cloud, mm-hmm. for open source offerings, and if you say the wrong thing or do the wrong thing, uh, you know, in public, one one wrong sentence can cost yeah a whole division or a lot of money, and so so they they have a, a I right. respect mm-hmm. their job, but at the same time, you know, if you're talking about open source and the open source community, you know, things things are uh, different than they are in the sort of corporate PR world. Mm-hmm. And so it's hard to sort of mix the two. Um, but yeah, no, we, we went out. I remember talking to my first uh, Java user group in Seattle. Uh, and um, that was a great experience. Um, the uh, organizers were very kind and gave us a nice spot at the uh, REI, which is the, um, it's a local in the U.S. It's a outfitter for, uh, outdoor equipment and stuff. And they had a big meeting room in the back, okay. a beautiful location in downtown Seattle. Anyway, uh, when they, when my boss found out that I'm going to speak at the Java user group, I'm like, Hey, I'm going to do a good thing. I'm going to go talk at a Java user group for the first time ever for Microsoft. And he was like, what? Oh, oh no. Have you run this by PR? So we had to get PR and we literally had to get lawyers to look at what we were, our messaging was. And, uh, we had, what did they call it? They had some sort of uh, sheet with questions and answers that you mm-hmm. should give if you get asked tough questions. Because there was still that history yeah. with Microsoft and Java and all that stuff. So they were worried about that. But they didn't need to worry, man. We went there and everyone was like, wow, this is great. We had no idea Microsoft was working on this stuff. And, uh, you know, we, we really benefited from When from Wikia was it? 2013. Mm-hmm. So that was, I joined in November 2012. And I spoke, I think, in like the spring of 2013. So you were the very first, uh, it was the very first Microsoft, official Microsoft talk about Java. Uh, Yes, I'd say so. Well, they probably had others, but this was the first like post lawsuits uh, talk for sure. Um, They really hadn't had any since, since the before days. And they were kind of, what was the title you remember? What was the title of the talk roughly? I think it was just, um, because we had some Eclipse, I don't remember the exact title, but what I, I can remember what I showed, yeah. which we had some uh, Eclipse mm-hmm. and IntelliJ plugins mm-hmm. that we had built to make it easy to deploy to Azure. Okay. So and back then it was called Windows Azure, mm-hmm. interestingly. We managed to get them to fix that. Uh, but um, yeah, it was deployed to Windows Azure on Eclipse and IntelliJ. I think something like that. And basically all it was was a, a plugin that you could do. You could log into your Azure account and you could deploy to app service mm-hmm. uh, or to Azure or you could to, you know copy something to Azure storage. It was very simple back then. Mm-hmm. But it was a, a Eclipse plugin. And from there we went on to work with Jenkins. Um, mm-hmm. And we actually worked directly with KK and uh, some other folks at the Jenkins Foundation, and we got some some funding so they could run their build and deployment process on Azure. And that was for like three years they did that. Um, I also worked with just random, what what seemed like random things, but they were tied to Microsoft um, which and Java, which is uh, uh, MongoDB. We had a long, strong partnership with MongoDB. Mm-hmm. Uh, we still do. And... Um, because MongoDB was so popular with Java developers, also MySQL. Mm-hmm. So MySQL is popular as well. So we worked with them. Um, and 
Yeah, I remember that. And you were still did the same department, this open tech department we're talking about, right? Yes. Yes. And the real, you know what? I mean, the, we can say this now, but the real reason why they had a separate company uh, was for intellectual property concerns. Mm -hmm. So I don't, I don't know. I'm not a lawyer. I don't know the details, but they were worried that if we started contributing to open source projects that we could somehow compromise our uh, intellectual property at okay. Microsoft. So they made it a separate company. Uh, And then later what they did is they created a company called Microsoft Intellectual Property. Okay. And they basically put it all there. And by the way, Google and I think probably Amazon do the same thing. Uh, so they have their own intellectual property company. So the company itself that is Microsoft that hires all these people doesn't actually have ownership technically of the intellectual property inside those companies. Uh, it's owned by a third party. So that basically shields them from any legal issues when it comes to open source. So when that happened, uh, we were able to be absorbed into the main open source teams at Microsoft. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, and this, this uh, group was formed called the Open Source Programs Office. And basically they were there to teach people how to, um, how to work with open source, work with open source communities, make sure they have the right licensing for whatever they're working on, uh, make sure that they're not exposing themselves to any vulnerabilities in the open source software and things like that. So it's a good program. I didn't join that part. I joined uh, programs, uh, program management office as a, um, as a program manager for Java. And is this still was what was your, your role until now? Yes. Yeah. So actually I was, at the time, no, I, I, it changed since then. But um, at the time I was program manager for Java and Node because they didn't think Java was a big enough opportunity to be dedicated to one person. Was like, oh, you can handle Java and Node. I'm like, all right. I didn't, I didn't, I kind of neglected Node to be honest, but uh, uh, I mostly worked with Java and uh, worked with the Java community. And basically my job at that point was to go out to different events And um, I think that's might be what Antonio was talking about uh, in your podcast. I was at different events and we were basically there to get information about what we should be building at Microsoft mm -hmm. to better serve the Java community mm -hmm. in our cloud. Uh, so that's what we did. We went out and uh, uh, we, at some events we gave away t-shirts, some events we just asked people to fill out a survey, um, but we collected thousands of survey responses and things like that mm -hmm. and uh, brought them back. I should mention one thing about Microsoft too. At the time, uh, they had a whole bunch of people called evangelists and I was one of those evangelists. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, there was an executive decision made at Microsoft that they were going to get rid of all the evangelists, uh, you know, or they're going to at least eliminate the evangelist role at Microsoft. Some people didn't like the title, mm -hmm. which is understandable. And some people didn't like uh, just the role. They just thought that program managers could do the role themselves better than evangelists could. Okay. So basically, you know, in my case, I, the people in the open source programs office became program managers and I became a program manager as well, but I just kind of did the same thing I used to do with evangelism. Uh, and, um, 
Uh, that was kind of interesting. Uh, unfortunately, you know, there were some people who left because of that as well. Uh, we lost some good folks uh, to that decision. Uh, but the, the role was still needed. Uh, See, so here's what happened. And this is interesting. I think it's very important to, to record this. Um, they said, you know, program managers know the products better. Mm-hmm. So program managers, for those of you unfamiliar in big corporate uh, the big corporate offices and big corporate world. So the program managers are basically like the CEO of a product. Okay. So you're supposed to be out there getting feedback from customers and um, basically guiding the direction of the product that you're working on, the product or service that you're working on. Um, so what happened was program managers, because they're tied to a certain product or service, they would go out and try to do the evangelist role and all they would do is sell the product or service that, that they're supposed to sell. And then you won't uh, you know, get accepted to conferences, right? With such. Thank you. Yes, that's exactly what happened. So they went out, and you know, some of them, you know, straight up, you know, they they some of them basically said, you know, tried to make their their abstracts vague. But then they were really, you know, it was, a, it was a sales pitch and and customers and attendees of conferences who paid to be there didn't like it much. And that's not really hard to predict, is it? It's uh, So basically, uh, that was like 2015. And then around 2017, a guy named Jeff Sanquist, who, who used to work at Twitter, uh, he was working at Twitter at the time, uh, came back to some of the executives. He used to work at Microsoft. He went to Twitter. It came back to some of the Microsoft executives and said, hey, guys, I got this great idea. I want to create a team of people who represent the community, and we're going to call them cloud advocates. Not evangelists, because we don't like that term. We're going to call them cloud advocates. So basically, the cloud advocacy team was born. And as soon as I heard about this, I chased down Jeff Sanquist and bothered him until he gave me a uh, a position on the team. I was one of the first advocates on the team uh, focused on Java. So uh, I was 100% focused on Java uh, as a cloud advocate. So back to the life I liked. And personally, it was nice because it was a remote role as well. So I didn't have to be in the office all the time. I was in the office from 2012 to basically 2016, two, three mm-hmm. weeks a month. So uh, I could work remotely, and and I was free to go to events again, and we had travel budget and all kinds of cool stuff. So, uh, yeah. Uh, so, so you are still a cloud, cloud advocate for Java. I'm still a cloud advocate. I was, yeah, like I said, one of the first folks hired in 2017, and here in 2023, I am working as an advocate, and uh, uh, it's been a great run, you know. Um, and I've learned so much about the cloud, and uh, I've kept up with my Java skills as well so it's 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 a perfect job for me i love going to events and speaking and uh uh, you know even being on the road Mm -hmm. a lot of people don't like it i actually really like it and uh uh yeah so it's been a great role what were the topics uh for this year what you were so we heard about you know web logic um the um Open Liberty or Web Liberty and um, Spring apps on uh, App Service, right? So what? Yeah. What? What else? So what? What are you know the topics related to Java and Asia? So you are you know associated yeah. with. You know what? Um, it's interesting. So those conferences you mentioned, Spring One, uh, Cloud World, and 
tech exchange for IBM, all of their talk submissions were in January and February, mm -hmm. right? So the CFP was January, February, and guess what happened in March? ChatGPT yeah. started showing up on your local news program. And uh, yes, so um, it completely shifted everything. So since then, uh, you know, even now, even at these events, I try and squeeze a little bit of AI in, you know, ChatGPT and other things, because uh, it's so important. I mean, it's really making a difference. Uh, it's kind of unfortunate that this big trend followed the previous big trend, which was crypto and NFTs. So there's like, if, if people aren't working with it, if they're just sort of pundits that are looking at this, they're going, oh yeah, the next big thing, you know, it's just going to be another fad like cryptos and NFT, NFTs, but it's not, it really isn't. It's, um, this one is different. Um, anyone who's working with it is, uh, is really seeing the potential and it, it really is amazing. I mean, so ChatGPT specifically, uh, I was amazed that it could write code. But what uh, did it beginning. do on Asia with Java and ChatGPT? Any topics, you know, with Java, oh, AI well, related? I, I'll tell you. So um, not just ChatGPT, but I've sort of evolved. I don't use, I don't go out. I have a membership. I have a well, membership. I have a subscription for ChatGPT, but I don't use it all that much. So uh, anymore, because I have Copilot now. So mm -hmm. I have GitHub Copilot. And Copilot Chat, and by the way, these work in IntelliJ or Visual, Visual Studio Code. Mm -hmm. And Copilot Chat is amazing. They just literally last week announced a beta of um, Copilot Chat last Thursday, mm -hmm. and I had a talk Thursday night, Friday morning at DevOps Ukraine, uh, and I, I scrambled all day Thursday. It was the last day of Cloud World. I I scrambled to get my new talk covering chat because it's amazing. Um, so what you can do with it, for example, is uh, if you're in your code, mm -hmm. it's aware of any open tabs you have in your code. It's aware of the files in the file system, but not the, not the code inside those unless they're in an open tab. Uh, and uh, a few other things. Uh, you can literally go and... There's, there's several slash commands. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if anyone remembers slash commands. If they're old enough out there, uh, like me, to remember slash commands in different software, like uh, Excel and Lotus123 and Clipper and things like that. These were all run by slash commands. You hit the slash, and it would pop up with a menu mm -hmm. with things you could do. Well, Copilot sort of brought that back. So you hit the slash, and you get these commands. You can do explain. Mm -hmm. which is slash explain. It'll explain the code. Mm -hmm. You can do, this is the really powerful one, slash fix. It will actually propose. I, I did this in my, in my demo. I, I selected something. I purposely mistyped a, um, a word in spring. Uh, there's a lot of managers in spring, right? Mm -hmm. And so I'm constantly typing manger mm -hmm. and I don't notice and it's hard to see. So I purposely changed one of my my classes to manger and I did slash fix and it's like, ah, yeah. Did you want me to change this manager before I fix it? <laughs> Is this a part and, uh, of Copilot yeah. X, um, the, the uh, chat? Yeah. 
Yes, yes. So, well, uh, Copilot X, um, it's part of the main Copilot now. So okay. if you have, um, if you have v- VS Code and you have Copilot, uh, definitely download the Copilot Chat extension Copilot as well. Chat, okay. Yeah. So um, slash fix. So there's explain fix. What are the other ones? Uh, doc. So do slash doc, mm-hmm. and it will actually add documentation to whatever mm-hmm. context you're in at that second. Java document. Uh, no, no, it's just, it's just going to be a description. Okay. Uh, it's not Java doc. Yeah. Uh, that would be cool if you had a slash Java doc, but yeah, it, it would be, I mean, you know, the yeah. description is more important because, you know, the parameters and return value, but actually chat GPT could also, you know, do the parameters return values because they are easier than the description. It's true. It's true. It's just not, it's not necessarily specifically designed for Java yet. Yeah. So. But you are yeah. the you know program manager for Java, so you have to do something about it, right? Yes. Well, advocate. But yes, I delete Node.js. No, delete Node.js. Refocus the resources on Java, and here we go, right? There we go. There we go. Yeah, that's what we need to do. Uh, anyway, there's several commands you can use. You can also do things like hit Control I mm-hmm. or Command I on a Mac, and it pops up an interactive chat wherever you are in the code. So the chat can be on the side of the screen. But you can also pop up an interactive chat right there. So mm-hmm. Control I. Um, oh, one other thing I forgot to mention for so so uh, slash fix the slash fix command. Yeah. There can be um, when I did that on the feature manager that I had. Uh, you know, it found the error for my typo mm-hmm. in the error in the variables, but it also proposed seven other solutions for the code I had. Okay. So this is really important. It's good and bad, right? Mm-hmm. Because you need to know which of those seven solutions A will work and B are the best one. This right? is also my impression. So I would say if yeah. um, so I, I used uh, Copilot a lot and um, yeah. so it suggests Java code, but um, I just look at the code as okay, this is uh, 80% what I need and then I will adjust it a bit. So uh, actually, yes. um, you are hyper productive with AI. If you know what they are doing, yeah. right? Because if you yes. if you just accept yes. what happens, I would say after three clicks, no one has idea what actually inside, right? So I would say, yeah, yeah it's completely broken if you just accept the first suggestion of it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So I would say um, you you have to be skilled. You have to know to be focused. You have to be mm-hmm. able to to read code fast. You know the suggestion and decide is it worth or should I type it. But then it's great. Yeah. But I think you know um, many um, there's there are opinions like it was great for juniors. I'm not that yes. uh, convinced because if you are a junior developer, um, let's say junior developer, if I would try yeah. a, a new language with I have no idea, so Python, I only know a little, right? So if Copilot yeah. will suggest me Python code, what I can do, I can just you know leave the window open and and try it somewhere else. And if I understand it, yeah. put it um, to back to the code. So yeah. this is how I will learn. Yeah. But if you're under pressure, yeah. I will maybe you know accept it, and then it's over. Because after three acceptance, I, I have no idea what I did. So um, yeah. I think you know what what maybe will happen is you don't have to write boring code if you, if you are already a coder. But if you mm-hmm. don't know what you are doing, I think you will still have to learn. And maybe Copilot could help you with learning. But you have to be really, you know, determined to, to, to say, yeah. okay, I would really like to code and I will use, you know, Copilot as help. But uh, if you, yeah, this is my opinion about that, right? 
Yeah, absolutely. No, 100%. Uh, I agree. Uh, they say it's for, uh, it, well, they don't really say it. they, who's they, but. You know, the uh, the I popular have, opinion, you know, what I heard, yeah. you know, I, I read some articles, yeah. so they say, okay, it is mm -hmm. like, it, it, how, how it's called, it democratizes, you know, the software development because everyone can contribute yeah. code. But I, this is what I, because everyone can click a button, do something. Yeah. But this is also you no know, true for MDA days. I don't know whether you remember model-driven architecture. Everyone could draw draw a box and then generate, you know, the entire enterprise application. But uh, the, right. then it was over. It was deployable and this worked. But you know, any change in the code required you to understand the code. Yeah. And this is not different yeah. in 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 Copilot, right? Hundred percent. Now, I, I I think the main people, the people that get the most benefit from this, are senior developers. Yeah. Because, you know, as a senior developer, I, I know what I need, uh, and, but I don't, you know, I don't want, sometimes building the, the base classes is just grunt work, yeah. you know? So if you can get an assistant to write the base classes and put it, and then you just set, put it all together, yeah. uh, great. Well, that's what, you know, now you don't need that assistant. Uh, Copilot is the assistant. Yeah. So, and junior developers, they'll get some benefit from the explain command, for exactly. example, the one I mentioned earlier, where it gives you a big, long explanation. It gives you a ridiculously long explanation in some cases of what this code does, you know? Uh, and, and then what I find is I use it for, like the other day, uh, not for Java. You know, I, I don't necessarily use it for Java, but the other day I had a big, long bash script, right? And I needed a PowerShell version of that yeah. to run in a certain environment. So I just said, create this bash script, but in PowerShell. And it did. And it worked the first try. So that's the kind of thing, like, that's the kind of thing. I just love to have an assistant to do that stuff. And now I do. What you would call uh, an experiment, you go to your chat window and say, explain. Then you copy over the explanation, put to ChatGPT, and say write Java code. You know, and and yes. see, see how different the ideas are. You can do that now. I find. See, here's the thing. That's what I I have a problem with is is the code that gets generated is pretty. It's either really boilerplate, like if it's it's really simple, like you want something like, you know, give me a class that returns the circumference of a circle or something. You know, it'll do that, and the, it works perfectly. But if you say, you know, give me a Uh, uh, application that manages inventory, it's just going to print that, you know, it's, it's going to work on it. It's going to do it, but it'll be garbage, you know, it'll just be absolute garbage because it just doesn't have the context that you need for your solution. But even if it's a general code and I accept the code, almost almost always I can shorten the code and mark it, yeah. make it a little bit read, yeah. more readable, which, uh, which, which, which is okay. But what was really chat GPT and all the AI, generative AI good is, you know, getting new ideas because sometimes yes. I'm surprised you know it's like okay this is uh, interesting actually how what is suggested yeah. here I will investigate a little bit more so it's like a, a, yeah. this is actually this is great to learn new things um, yeah yeah so this now the, the one mm -hmm. one caveat there is uh, the code base is from 2022 so Anything like it won't know anything about Java 21 or any latest. Uh, no, the, uh, the enterprises don't know anything about Java 17 or 11 sometimes, you know. So <laughs> this is like, you know, this is uh, <laughs> 2022 yeah, is, is almost too much, right? So something beyond Java EE? What? What is, where is, I, can't, I Googled it. I can't find Java EE. What yeah, happened? exactly. Yeah. yeah. So what yeah, else? But, um, so this chat is great, but um, 
there was this semantic kernel. You you are away, uh, uh, aware yeah. of it. So this is a more interesting because it seems like you have a Java API to AI, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. So instead of having to write prompts and um, convert those prompts, but semantic kernel is more than just connecting to AI um, or connecting to ChatGPT or OpenAI specifically. Uh, it also allows you to bring in your own data, right? Mm-hmm. So you can bring in your own data from, and it uses vector indexing to to manage that data, whether it's images or, uh, you know, PDFs or mm-hmm. other stuff that you might have that you don't necessarily want to have shared with the world, but you still want to have access for your team, you know what I mean? And that's, you know, it's a very common use case, Uh where it's like, okay, we want to use our stuff in ChatGPT, but we don't want everyone to have access to it. Uh, So now we can create our own large language models, basically using our own data uh, that is accessible by semantic kernel. And when it does a search, it kind of decides where it should look for the data. And it brings in, well, that's a wrong way to put it. It kind of decides what's the best source for the query, mm-hmm. and it combines your local data with uh, with ChatGPT results, mm-hmm. and so it's kind of cool. And th- there's a lot of uh, tweaking that you can do to make uh, semantic kernel, you know, use your data or ChatGPT more uh, things like that. But yeah, it's it's a very interesting technology. Still a very early, early stages, but can, very cool. Can we try it already? Just so not GitHub. There's some yes. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, we're working on a. a, a I, I'm currently working on a demo with uh, Bruno Borges oh, and okay. uh, Oliver and a few other uh, champions that you may know uh, on um, on building a demo that we're going to show at Ignite in November mm-hmm. uh, using Java. Oh, so and using this is Java. the System Administrator Conference, right? Yeah. But no one will yeah. listen to it. You know, they they will just ask you how to convert a shell script to to. <laughs> <laughs> From, from uh, yeah, corn probably. shell to z no. shell. This, this is the interest. There's still a few folks who, okay. who dabble in uh, development. We have there. to wait so to build will... build conference. But I do, I'm just kidding. Yeah. So there, there was um okay. So there there was a chat a semantic kernel. Uh, what else? Yeah. I mean, not not AI. But what what were the topics from this year? So we had to know the and all the or or you know Java Asia topics. Yeah, that's I mean. Honestly, the, the AI is, is going to just sort of overshadow everything uh, for the next, at least the next year or two, until it sort of gets woven, woven into the fabric of, uh, mm-hmm. of everyday life. But I think that's really the big one. Um, at Microsoft, they're sort of reorienting a lot of teams to be AI-focused, uh, in, including ours in a lot of ways, um, as advocates. But... There are other developments. I'm trying to think of some of the other uh, developments. You know, we're, we're we're sort of focusing more on Kubernetes service, virtual machines, and app service these days because that's what customers are looking for. So, Interesting that it's still Kubernetes because in my projects uh, we're going from Kubernetes away mostly because of complexity on really? this. Yeah, on, okay. on Asia, for instance, uh, what we do for fresh project, we use Azure Functions. A big deal okay. also in enterprises because yeah. I mean uh, we don't like you know to spend time with the infrastructure we did it the entire Java <laughs> and Jakarta you know time and now if you go to cloud yeah. just push the logic and so Azure functions are great and 
the, the even the yeah. premium version, and That's then um, Azure Azure App Service because uh, I think and I always confuse this Azure App Service and Azure Container Apps. I think. Yeah, the container apps is a containerized. It's like you're borrowing a Kubernetes pod from someone else. Exactly. Then this is a container apps. Yeah. Is the um, it was in preview last year, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Then Azure Container Apps is the way to go because it's like Kubernetes but simpler. But even if there is Kubernetes yes. behind the scenes, we are absolutely not interested in running Kubernetes. And yeah. um, so I would say on Azure, if I did, you know, the stack would be the um, so the first choice would be Azure Functions with Cosmos DB. And yeah. uh, the second choice would be container web apps with Cosmos DB or Azure Storage. And Kubernetes would be the very last choice because uh, what, what we are really see in larger enterprises, just Kubernetes is too complex and too expensive. And it only yeah. matters for lift and shift. You know, if you have on-premise applications, the, uh, they, yeah. they just pick the applications and then put it to the cloud and then complain it's too expensive, actually. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, and uh, my yeah. my opinion or my you know uh, what, my opinion what actually we do is we ignore the standards in the cloud and pick you know the simplest possible service you can get from the cloud provider and even if because it's not about portability in my eyes it's more about the switching costs mm-hmm. if um if my project is very portable. But uh, I had to invest a lot to understand the portability and, and create the portability. It doesn't yeah. matter, you know, if you spend millions and in one time you can maybe migrate between Asia and AWS, but you spend the entire time to, to build the abstractions. Or you spend nothing. Yeah. You build, you know, the, the, the sim- you pick the simplest possible service. And then if you would like to move from Asia to AWS, you say, okay, the migration is, I'm, I have just business Java code and I have to run the Java business code again on AWS, what would be the simplest possible uh, service on AWS? And if you take a look at the services, there are similar services on Azure on AWS. So this is my strategy, you know, just we we tried to abstract from products all the time, right? So we had to know, we tried to abstract from Oracle for the databases, whatever. And the truth is usually, you know, all the databases outlive the applications. So we abstracted yeah. from the databases, but they lived longer than the application, so it was not worth. And this is also my observation in the cloud. And actually, the entire this year, this is this was my job, actually, or, or lots of my contracts, is to help clients with the costs and complexity. And the solution to the mm-hmm. problem was just pick, you know, proprietary cloud services, which are simple and nice, and uh, forget yeah. the standards, and it worked perfectly. Huh, Okay. Well, that's a, that's an interesting feedback. I mean, we've been we're getting a lot of uh, interest and growth in Kubernetes in our Azure Kubernetes service, and maybe that's because it's managed by us uh, versus uh, managing your own Kubernetes. Yeah, but, but look, uh, Azure if I have, yeah. for instance, um, Quarkus app, right? So Quarkus I use all the time, yeah. MicroProfile. Quarkus mm-hmm. doesn't care whether it runs on Azure Function; it's the same code as on Kubernetes. So if I have the code, yep. I would try Azure Function first. I pay as you right. go for for, for yes. an enterprise. I don't have to pay nothing yep. until I reach you know a threshold. For Kubernetes, yep. I have I have to pay all the time. I have to do. Yep. Uh, I have to patch you know the pods. I have to think about load balancers and 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 everything. And Azure Functions, I'm done. Mm. So it is like Ingress why I should no. There is no, there is no advantage of of using Kubernetes. Um, yeah. And um, this is exactly the same as Angular, right? So people are doing Angular and, and, and they, they can do Angular, but there's actually no advantage of using a framework 
over just using the standard. Yeah. So it's the same here. And so, and, um, and um, for instance, the funny story, right? It was a highly secure project. And uh, we had to, um, to, to have an audit, right? And, and, and I got asked, what about the infrastructure? So it has to be audited. So we don't have anything. So why not? Where is the operating system? So serverless, no operating system. And and if you <laughs> if you if you run Azure function, there is not even Java, right? You just say, I would like to have Java, I think eleven seventeen, right? Uh, seventeen now. Yeah. And and and, yeah. and 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 Microsoft patches Java f- for me. So uh, right. you know, there's a huge advantage. In Kubernetes, I have the problem that I have to create still, you know, the Docker file, the super image. I have to care about uh, that the you know um, that the super image is safe. I don't like to do it. Yeah. I did it, you know, ten years ago it was fine, but now twenty twenty three, why we should you know do the same stuff? So um, I would say yeah. Kubernetes is non no more existing in all my projects in twenty twenty three, and uh, there were some yeah. Kubernetes projects, yeah. and we migrated away because of various reasons. Usually, our costs, updatability, and 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 portable 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 portability, even because of the Docker images, right? So. We have right. to, oh, portability, port, portability. I always said it. Portability. 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 I, never, I never had a problem, you know, to pronounce portability. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> but you know what? When we were saying portability just now, portability. The automatic portability. echo is very simple. Word. Portability yeah. is no, 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 no problem at all. It's funny when we were repeating it just now. I saw the echo cancellation feature pop up on your podcast streaming. Oh, very good. So portability is <laughs> thanks, uh, for, echo. thanks for echoing. Echoing. This was uh, this was fun. Yeah. See? That was hilarious. So yeah, no. Um, I, I that's an interesting take. I, I. Uh, I'll have to see. I mean, we Microsoft should know these things, right? So they need the to problem see is the, really the, the problem is the problem is not yeah. the Microsoft. The problem are companies, and there are many architects yeah. who believe that Kubernetes is cloud native. If something is not Kubernetes, yeah. it is not cloud native, and also right. they are afraid of vendor locking, cloud vendor locking. If they are not doing yeah. Kubernetes, they are locked to Asia. Um, so okay. But if you go, you know, yeah. to Azure Container Apps, and I have my Docker file, I mean, if Azure says no, I go to AWS. If the same Docker file, why I'm yeah. locked, right? I mean, and it just exactly. container orchestrator. Maybe you know the uh, I have to set up the slices in in Microsoft in you know tenth of a CPU and on AWS in a CPUs. But this is my my login, right? And uh, and, yeah. and I already locked in because you know of identity management is so different in both clouds and also you know the networking is different of course so this is my login but not you know kubernetes and if i talk to managers this happens all the time and i show them you know the azure pricing calculator with azure functional kubernetes there was no single case where you had to do kubernetes yeah that's awesome yeah this is just yeah. a feedback no, to, hey. because but because this is uh, i don't know um if 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 we're speaking money, you know, about our costs, there is no yeah. Kubernetes actually in the project. And and the it's last fine. thing, you are Java, you are Java developer. Actually, we can have complete different chat, right? The huge advantage yeah. of serverless is every developer can get an 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 production or or an environment identical to production for zero costs. It is impossible hmm. with Kubernetes because you yeah. will have to create a Kubernetes cluster per developer. Huge waste of energy, right. costs, and everything. But if you have an Azure function, every developer can have an Azure function. And if you call it, you know, yeah. thousand times a day, 
it just slips yeah. between, you know. There's no waste of money, resources, no energy. Everything is green. That's what I've, I mean, it's not exactly the same, but I find the Azure Container Apps is great for dev test. Yeah. Uh, because, you know, you're working in a pod, it's Kubernetes. It's not 100% the environment you're going to deploy into, but it's reasonable. You can have a reasonable expectation that when you deploy, it'll work as expected. <laughs> so that's nice. But yeah, it's interesting what you say. So Microsoft actually started... Uh, a marketing campaign about a year ago, which uh, I had mixed feelings about, called um, Do More With Less, Yeah, basically, which is what you're doing. Yeah. Uh, you're doing more with less. Yeah. So uh, that's that's great. I mean, um, at, at the time, you know, Do More With Less was really based on, you know, just, just making things more efficient. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm not sure that they recommended lowering your cloud <laughs> I, they probably did, but uh, I'm just being mean there. But uh, they do uh, actually. They, oh, both yeah. cloud providers have yeah. to because you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. They don't want they don't want a whole bunch of customers who say the cloud's too expensive. Exactly. You know, that's that's they don't want. They don't want and the next thing which happens, this happens right. next year in Europe at least. There's an a law coming out where you have you know to prove how much CO2 you spend you know in the entire chain. Mm -hmm. And if you go mm -hmm. serverless, you get actually on the invoice. You can see, you know, this is this was my CO two footprint. But if you mm -hmm. if you do not non serverless, you have no idea, and it you know runs the entire time. So it is very bad for wow. for marketing okay. to have you know a bare metal machine run twenty four seven. So it's, uh, if you serverless, you can see okay, I have that many transactions, and I generated that much you know gigabyte seconds, and this generated so much CO two, and problem solved. So um, I would say yeah. starting a project right now, which is not serverless, um, is not problematic, but why, right? So do you have to a reason not to do it? Yeah. Because the yeah. serverless is what we wanted to have for years with Java E, right? We have a war. We put the war to production yeah. and whatever happens here, I don't care. I just invoke, you know, my, my endpoint, I'm happy. Right. And this is exactly, you know, your Azure function or your Azure, Azure container apps or whatever comes and goes on demand, right? Yeah, interesting. Yeah, no, that's. Uh, I've been working as well. There's another angle in this uh, that I've been working with a company called Empire, mm -hmm. um, mm. and they have ARM64 exactly. uh, virtual machines, and those virtual machines can run Kubernetes on Azure mm -hmm. as well. And it's about a thirty percent. If you use Java in combination with Empire, it's about a thirty or more percent uh, reduction in your processing. And that means 30% or more power reduction and uh, just makes it a little more sustainable. So um, I've been a big proponent of Ampere. People are a little confused because I'm like supposed to be a Java guy, but I'm like talking about chips. No, ARM but is great. It all I mean, ties ARM is together. perfect for, yeah, for that. But yeah. if you, you could even combine yeah. uh, combine Ampere with Azure functions. Yes. Uh, you can't right now, I don't think. No, that, but uh, that that be, in one point of no. time it will, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah that's true. Yeah, and you could probably choose your underlying infrastructure. It's also uh, homework for you. Maybe you know it already. Uh, there was one paper about uh, Java energy efficiency for the, in the cloud. And mm -hmm. uh, the interesting part is um, Java is number four. So this is uh, C, C++, other, I think Rust and Java, mm -hmm. something like this. Mm -hmm. So Rust is before Java, then was ADA, was number two, and C, C++ was number one, as I remember. And Python... Wow was 35, 35 times worse than Java. 
So and yeah. and Node.js and and this in one point of time it becomes obvious. So this so is interesting. Right. So actually, Java is perfect for the cloud as a, as a green language. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. So you are in the so right spot, you know, cloud advocate yeah. now with serverless and Java, you are completely green, right? Absolutely, hundred percent. Not exactly hundred percent, but we're getting there. Uh, the the um, and we're also doing a lot of solar, solar uh, uh, installations. Yeah. Uh, and here in Nevada, it's solar is such a big thing. Um, yeah, this is what what, what yeah, I think, right? Uh, in Las Vegas, you can have you you can have yeah. as many solar as you like, right? Yes, correct. Yeah, and and if you drive out. You know where Hoover Dam mm -hmm. is. Um, mm -hmm. It's a famous dam all over the world. Uh, it's where, you know, they had the original lake. It's still mostly there. I don't know if mostly, but uh, it's been shrinking. Uh, but it powers all of Las Vegas and, and a lot of California too, uh, using turbine power from the dam. And um, they've been building up capacity. In the olden days, they would have done it by adding more turbines, but now they're adding solar power around the dam. And the reason for that is because all the transmission lines are already there. Yeah. So you can use the same grid. That's actually, a cool idea. But mm -hmm. generate electrical power. So if you drive, it's very interesting. You drive out, you can drive for 10, 20 miles, and you're in the middle of solar panels the whole way. You know, uh, all around the valley there. So it's pretty amazing. Mm -hmm. pretty amazing. And of course, the sun and everything is good for that. The last observation about um, ChatGPT and similar. So what's a little mm -hmm. bit odd, right? All these startups or whatever, at the end of the day, they are just submitting a string and receiving a string, right? So this, this is the API, what everyone gets. You know, the secret yes. sauce is to playing with the parameters to get the right thing, which is reliable. Yeah. And do some, yeah. you know, filtering in between. So that's all, right? Yeah. This is like a absolute low tech, you know, what you did in two, at CGI days, actually, at the beginning. So it's like, you know, three parameters, and this is what you get out, and then you build application around that. Because I think yeah. there is no startup at the world you know, who is, can create, you know, open AI model from scratch. So what they can do is, uh, I think this is prompt engineering, mostly what happens behind the scenes. I don't even with mm -hmm. fine tuning of the of the model uh, takes a big role for smaller companies. I, I'm sure Microsoft is doing that, but um, yeah. yeah, this is interesting, right? So, so actually, no. yeah, that you know, you are just chatting via API with something, getting results back, and you hope that the result is reliable, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, yeah, there's there's several, and by the way, Java is not part of that yet, really. Behind the scenes, mm -hmm. I mean, there's an API to yeah. talk to it, but I think, I think personally, I, this came up in spring one. I was talking to someone about what would Java, how would Java benefit AI, and I was thinking, okay, so first of all, there's uh, the creation of the data, actually ingesting the data into a large language model um, that can be done with multi-threads uh, and uh, faster. So if there's um, if there's any kind of ETL that needs to be done on the data, so, you know, uh, uh, and actually clean up the data before it gets into the large language model, well, there's already Java tools for that. And the reason why they're Java tools is because they're fast. Uh, so you could use that for, you know, basically loading data into your large language model and then building the parameters. Mm -hmm. Once again, there's a lot of processing that takes place to build those parameters um and make the connections between the parameters um 
And so that could probably benefit from Java code as well. It's a typical startup scenario, right? So they write something in Node or Python or something, and then they get to a certain level of capacity. And they say, wow, okay, so we need something more powerful to actually process this. What do we do? And Java often comes up in those situations and, yep. and is the solution to choose. So, yeah, I can see uh, big, big opportunities for Java inside of the large language model slash AI world in the future as well. Perfect. Yeah. Hey, Brian, where people can find you on the Internet? So give you some you know, pointers to your existence. Virtual yeah. existence. Sure. Maybe your personal AI. So, Maybe you already you know co-piloted Brian. This is actually yeah. I've been I've been uh, taking a nap this whole time. This is my AI. Oh, very good. But uh, yeah. Um, so it's it's uh, I'm on B Benz B B E N Z mm -hmm. on Twitter on um, Threads on Mastodon on GitHub uh, and also you can find me on LinkedIn. Just search Brian Benz LinkedIn mm -hmm. and. Uh, my profile's there as well. But BBENZ is uh, the place, the, the idea I use in most places. Perfect. And next, next you know, chat we should have is about Java and AI, you know, what Microsoft does to yeah. connect both. This would be interesting. If you have something. I would love to do yeah. that. Um, yeah, absolutely. That'd be cool. So thank you. All right. Well, thanks. That was good. It was a great conversation again. As always, thank you.